Well, hello there. It is good to see you again and welcome back to Your Money and a Cup of Joe. It's good to be back with you all today. We're going to be diving into a great episode. I am your moderator, Ryan Ruff. And as always, I'm joined by the star of our show, and that's Mr. Joe Kaleo, Wealth Advisor with UBS. And we're going to be tackling really what we've seen so far this year today's episode really a summation of 2023 there have been a lot of unknowns really about the economy and the markets today we thought it'd be really beneficial to do a snapshot of what we've seen so far in 2023 recap what we've seen here at the halfway mark and then of course take a look at what this might mean for the end of the year as we move in towards the holidays and whatnot so joe i i think a good spot for us to start uh, open things up you know we've gotten some economic reports some indicators what are they telling us what are you seeing as we're here we are sitting down to record this about halfway through the year what's what's on your mind yeah ryan i think let's start with some of the economic things right what is the economy doing i think that's the first thing that people are going to want to know and let's start with inflation it's the biggest thing that's been on everyone's mind is it moderating is it negative is it down is there a recession so let's start with inflation PCE, personal consumption expenditures. It's an inflation index. It closely monitored by the Federal Reserve. Well, Ryan, it tumbled last month to its lowest level since April of 21, and it was pulled down by lower gas prices and slower rising food costs. That's a plus if you think inflation is moderating. And inflation has been showing that prices have continued to rise, but not as quick as they had over the prior 12 months. So in May, for example, it was up 3.8%. In April, it was up 4.4% on a year-over-year -year average. So while inflation's higher than it's been generally over the last 15 years, over the last 12, it's been coming down. So it's starting to moderate, as we say. And from April to May, prices ticked up just 0.1%. So that's a plus. Now, inflation, though, has been tempered by an elevated reading of core prices. That's the increase underscored. The feds believe that it will need to continue to raise interest rates to conquer high inflation. Well, core prices rose 4.6% in May from a, a year earlier. And in fact, Ryan, that's the fifth straight month that the core figure was either 4.6 or 4.7% higher. So that's high, higher than what the Fed wants, and food costs were 5.8% higher than they were a year ago. We're going to go through a little bit more math than what we normally do on our podcast, Ryan, but it's important, right? This is the scorecard, if you will, of the first six months. Of and course. then finally, gas prices. They sank 5.6% from April to May, and they've plunged 22% over the past year. So that is good news if you're keeping score on inflation. So inflation's kind of had this mixed signal for us a little bit, generally moderating, coming down over the 12-month period. That's a positive sign, right? Now, travel stocks are on a tear. Why are we mentioning travel stocks here and now? Because we see the consumer is still wanting to get out and do things, and the Fed's been tightening monetary policy hoping it would slow the economy down. But travel and leisure is one of those sectors of the economy that's been going strong. And we're going to talk about that in more detail when we get into the sectors in a little bit. How strong? Well, for the first six months of this year, the, the S&P 500 is up 15%. 
So that's very strong for a six-month period, right? And the first quarter economic growth was actually 2%, up from 1.3% reported in the first major GDP, gross domestic product, revision. So the numbers still show a lot of growth within the economy overall, right? And when we look at GDP, it's been annualized at 2.2% from January to March, 2.6% in the fourth quarter. So it's also moderating. So we're starting to see some things work. And you think, okay, the Fed has raised 10 times for a total of five percentage points. Is it working? It sounds like it's working. It sounds like it's doing its job. Yeah, it's some encouraging stuff. I mean, obviously, inflation, never a fun subject to discuss overall. But given some of those numbers on the economy side of things, I might be looking up. Let's switch gears, though, Joe, and let's look at the markets. What's going on with the markets thus far, and how does this factor into the inflation conversation? Brian, if you want, get out your pen and pencil to keep track <laughs> of what we're talking about here, right? The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 3.8% through the end of June. The S&P just under 16 the NASDAQ just over 31. So technology growth stocks have done better than value so far for the first six months. But one of the important items is the VIX, the volatility index, recognizing how things are going. Generally, if the VIX is down, markets go up. And indeed, the VIX was down 31% from December to the end of June so far this year. But when we break down the sectors, just a quick overview of math, I'd break it down three ways. We've got big winners, gainers, and then losers. The big winners, technology, communication services, and, com and consumer discretionary. Winners, industrials, materials, and real estate. And then the losers so far, consumer staples, financials, healthcare, utilities, and energy all of those down through the end of June. So as we look at this, right, we're seeing the big winners up 30% or more through the end of June. It's very rare. It's almost a seesaw, if you will, of gains and losses, but we think that'll begin to moderate. And we're starting to see why some of that's happening. Fantastic. And Joe, I mean, we've got our big winners, we've got our gains, we've got our losers. When we're looking into certain sectors, what do you believe might be kind of the catalyst that's driving the market overall just to a higher level? Ryan, I think the, the number one thing that we've seen and heard so much about is artificial intelligence. And that has played a big role in both technology and communication services being the big winners for the first six months of this year. Communication services was up over 35% from January 1 to June 30th. Artificial intelligence has just literally taken the, the investment world by storm, if you will, right? Many applications are even beginning to use AI, and they're already incorporating it into consumer activity. So recently, we've heard about AI chatbots, right, and how you can incorporate that and in applications for users to ask them to do things or make a recommendation and plans and how to complete tasks. So the apps are beginning to collect data and then send recommended messages to users. And we're already starting to see this happen. Some of the more recent uh, engagements, if you will, have been in travel, hotel, skincare and cosmetics, and clothing and apparel recommendations. And if you would say, count these as conversations, 
Travel had 5 million conversations. Hotel, a million conversations. Skincare and cosmetics, over 12 million. And clothing and apparel, over 16 million conversations. So we're starting to see AI catch on very quickly and make recommendations to consumers. And so that's got some cross currents. So we're going to talk about cross currents. So when we hear about this, right, communication services are those services that you get on the internet, so to speak, and you're doing a search. But then if you buy some cosmetics or have a hotel room, that's also in the leisure department. So we see cross currents from one sector to another. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. But there's also been a challenging upfront here with wide price gap and concerns from Q4, right? So let's talk about communication services. So negotiations have been going on, right, with the providers, if you will, and those that are going to rent that space. And so as negotiations have been going on, there's been a wide bid-ask spread between those that are going to rent that space and those providing that space. And those that are providing the space are raising their prices and those renting it are lower. So there's a little disparity here of about 10 to 15%. Experts think this will end with an outcome slightly up from the prior year. Why is this important? The last time the industry saw a price rollback at the upfront part of this was in 2008, 2009, and prior to 2002. Why are those time periods important? They were both when America was in a huge recession. So watching the prices here, Ryan, tells us, are we likely to see a recession or not? And could it be big or not? So buyers are concerned that Q4, which is the biggest part of the buying season, right? Right before the holidays. What do those prices look like? They're generally non-cancelable ads. So we're waiting to see where this goes. And we're also seeing that Hopefully, the calendar year 24 is a little bit more flexible. The conversation right now looks a little longer in the timeline. History could drag this into and through August. So we're watching this to see where inventory is, how sales are happening up front, and then we'll see what it looks like going into the fall. Uh, no, Joe, this is great. It's a lot of fascinating information. I mean, especially when we look at the AI side of things as a whole. I mean, it's disrupted so many markets. It's continuing to innovate on a regular basis, which is changing the way we operate across all industries. But when we look at artificial intelligence as a stock, Joe, would you categorize these underneath of, of technology or communication services? How, how, would, how does this fall into it? Because again, it's innovating, it's changing. Where does it fall? Uh, Ryan, the answer is yes, <laughs> right? I know you posed it as an either or, but I say the answer is yes. Um, let's And we just dealt with the communication services. Let's talk the technology side of things, right? Because it does seem to dominate nearly every discussion. We've heard of seven stocks really pushing technology higher, really pushing the market higher, especially in the S&P 500. And investors are starting to take a bigger picture view as this area continues to grow, not only in notoriety, but also popularity and its capabilities. There's still a strong debate, though, as to the degree in which AI infrastructure is cannibalizing investment in traditional computer infrastructure. We'll have to see what happens there, right? These investments, though, can have a very attractive ROI. So as we see that, can it be supportive over time? 
big companies that are already very profitable are investing a lot in this area. And we think that's going to continue for some time to come. Not many companies are reporting profitability in their AI. But the last time I can think of that we saw technology really outperform, growth stocks really outperform value was 1998-99. And then we had the tech bust of 2000 through 2002. Growth came down and value went up during that time period. I'm not saying we're going to see a repeat of that, but we do see some similar trends in that at this point. And if we continue to see it, I don't think it'll take nearly as long for AI to be profitable as it was for many companies to make money off the internet. So sure. I think you're going to see that trend develop much faster for companies, both from the AI provider side, as well as the AI user side. Of course, and I feel like it was just at the beginning of this year, Joe, we were talking about things like ChatGBT and, and kind of a textualized AI. And now, you know, you look any which way and you're seeing AI do a multitude of different things from generating imagery to video editing to, I mean, it's it's wild to see how much this has impacted so many different realms uh, of business and industries as a whole. So it, it does kind of feel like we're on the cusp of an explosion of 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 growth and profitability with AI, but there's still that layer of, of unknown that, that exists out there. So uh, my next question to you, while we stick on the AI side of things is how likely do you see AI companies that are funneling, you know, uh, money into the development of this impacting the economy and its stocks overall? Yeah, I, I think Ryan, a couple of things uh, that we're already hearing that it's likely to impact healthcare very quickly. And we'll talk about healthcare here in a few minutes. We're already seeing, as we just mentioned, communication services and consumer discretionary, finding a hotel and possibly an airline or cruise. And we're seeing those industries be impacted very positively, very quickly. So we're seeing the cross currents, if you will, from one sector to another have a positive impact. And so while the cost of developing AI is high, the services being delivered are already having a positive impact for people, whether it's the user or the company or both. Now, the question is, is it pointing it in the right direction? One of the things you may have heard about, right, is making sure that the fact checks properly. And I've got a friend who's actually created a company that is in AI software. And he's, he's also talked about these hallucinations, if you will, right? These things that are not actual and factual, right? So they've got to, they've got to work out bugs. They know they're in there. How do they fact check? Because there are just enough things on the internet. How do they eliminate these issues? but there's still enough uh, validity to everything that's going on that it's making it profitable for end users, both individuals and, com and companies. Yeah, it really is a fascinating time looking at at the developments that are that we've seen already with AI and then of course what's on the horizon. Joe, I want to double click into the consumer discretionary side of things now. Uh in your eyes has this, you know, consumer discretionary defied the odds if you will. You know, we we hear so many people that were concerned about a recession and whether or not it would be a hard or soft landing, but how do the consumer discretionary numbers look uh, so far this year and and what do you see coming forward? Yeah, it's interesting, Ryan, because the Fed's going to look at how people are spending money. They wanted people to slow down their spending, and in some places they have. 
But in terms of discretionary items, those numbers have continued to rise. If you look at that sector alone, it's also up over 30% from January 1 to June 30th. So that's a very interesting dynamic happening right here. Now, some of the things that we've seen in play, home construction, for example, public builders are apparently are in a very favorable position despite a rise in interest rates. Home builders and home suppliers make up a very large portion of overall consumer discretionary spending. Well, the ability of the builders generally that we follow offer a very attractive financing via capture lending arms, and that has positioned them well for future share gains, even if the market were to soften. So we've seen some growth here. We expect Q2 results, which are coming out here shortly. Those financial results for home builders have continued to increase even though supplies have tightened. So that's a positive thing. We still see this going. Even while interest rates have gone up, building has gone on. Building product stocks have also been positioned well. They're up strongly so far this year. So there have been a lot of positives in this, but let's go back to cross currents, right? Banking, which we'll get into financials deeper in a moment, the regional bank crisis could potentially create some select opportunities for distressed sales across both builders and land developers, even if land prices remain sticky. So that's something we're going to watch very carefully. Also on the discretionary side, dynamic leisure and entertainment. In this area, think of restaurants, casinos, cruise lines, entertainment, and hotels. That Ryan's up over 15% through the end of June, just this year. And then as you would expect, home construction up almost 40%, the home builders, materials. So discretionary is belying the underlying ex expectation of what the Fed was doing with rising interest rates. And so we're still seeing this grow over time. All right. So we've hit the consumer discretionary side of things. Let's talk about those consumer staples, Joe, the, you know, the, the goods and services, the products that we use every day. How have those been looking so far this this uh, you know first half of the year, and, and where do you see them progressing? Yeah, they're one of the slight losers, down slightly from January 1 through June 30th, down a half percent, basically. Um, there's been an underperformance, and the belief is the risk and reward is now starting to get compelling. If it wasn't already, now it may be a time to buy into these. But as you look at it from a subsector, right, if we dig down deeper, Beverages remain in favor with greater visibility and top line upside. So this is something we're looking at, right? Spirits, seltzers, teas, beer. These are the kinds of things that we're going to look at over time, right? We're starting to see that pick up again, probably as you go into the heavy part of the summer season. You got to drink a little bit more in the summer heat. We have all heard about the heat across the country. So yes, yeah, some of this could be part of it. All right, let's switch gears now, Joe, over to energy. If we look back at 2022, energy had a big year. It was a big winner. Uh, but how's it doing so far this year? Yeah, I, I believe there's a little bit of profit taking going on here, Ryan, to be honest. And, and remember when we talked about the economic report, gas prices had come down 22% over the last year. Not too surprising. Energy's off 7% from the beginning through the end of June. That's not too surprising. I think by that much of a drop, but we're starting to see it come down some. Also, though, from the geopolitical risk side, right, we always watch what's happening geopolitical-wise. 
There are some uh, alliances happening with U.S.-based companies in Asia that could increase business for them. So that could be a way to then help relations with certain key partners or allies or even those that were not as much of an ally. I'm just talking between the lines here a little bit, Ryan, but I think everybody understands, right? We're always monitoring geopolitical risk, especially in Asia. And those partners could be a long-term partnership that uh, brings the U.S. and others together that may not have been together before. Sure thing. Uh, Joe, I want to pivot now to uh, a hot button issue. Uh, you know, look, regional banks have been making a lot of negative headlines in the first half of the year. Financials have been a little disappointing as a result of that. How do the banks and financials look as a whole to you here on the first half of the year? And what do you where do you see them going as we complete 2023? Yeah, I can't help but think they will rebound in the second half versus what they did in the first half. They were off 1.5% from January 1 through June 30th. So let's break this down. We're going to spend a little more time on financials. So right at the end of June, there was a stress capital buffer result that was released, and it was kind of unpredictable. And I say unpredictable, that's giving us some idea of how are the banks financially should there be an issue, right? It came out of the financial crisis. They not only started looking at the mega banks, but they've also started looking at some of the regional banks, right? That was a big issue. We're going to talk about the regionals in a second. Well, it, it came out and said, you need to look at it very specifically bank by bank and not so much by subcategory or subtopic. So that's actually a positive piece of news for the financials. Now, the negative read for the, for the first half of this year is certainly the regional banking index, right? And that was the big loser, if you will. But commercial real estate has been a loser, off almost 9%. And office space is still that unknown, cross-current, could it be a canary in the coal mine? We've yet to see, and we've got to think through this, right? Commercial real estate, office space is not anywhere near where it was pre-COVID. Going into pre-COVID, people were beginning to work more remotely than before. COVID accelerated that trend, and it has not returned to anywhere near it was pre-COVID. So knowing that's the case, as buildings come back up for office space in particular, commercial real estate, as they come back up for renewals, or lease payments, we need to see how that impacts really the regional banks. And it's a one-by-one -one scenario. So that's something we're going to watch. So let's go through this. Regional banks down almost 31% through the end of June. That's a big hit, right? Now, they've begun to rebound towards the end of June. It could have actually been worse than this at one point. And leading into earnings, the second, the last two weeks of June, some rose as much as 10%. So we're watching real estate, we're watching regional banks. Insurance, only down 3%. When we talk insurance here, we're talking life, property and casualty, full inline insurance. So insurance kind of held up well within financials, but still down overall. So we're watching a, a full cross current of real estate and banks and see if one impacts the other. It is something we're going to watch.
All righty. You heard it here, folks. We'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that, of course, as the year goes on. Joe, you had mentioned COVID a moment ago. One of those bigger topics surrounding COVID that made a massive impact on the world at large was supply chain. It was a huge issue. A lot of companies weren't able to get the materials to be able to provide just the high value products that so many of us had a desire to have, especially when we were, you know, in our homes and, and going through quarantines and whatnot. We're starting to hear supply chains are picking up a little bit better. Talk to us about these. How do they do in the first half of the year? Supply chains have begun to improve in so many ways, Ryan, but we're also seeing companies are going back to just in time buying mentality, right? That was back 20, 30 years ago, that's picking back up. And if that happens, and we are starting to see that happen, you could see inflationary prices or inflationary pressures on prices increase. So materials were up over 6% through for the first half of this year. We think they're going to have pricing power still, even though, as we've heard, inflation's coming down, supply chains are improving materials may still have some more strength in their capacity for the second half of this year. All right, and I'll piggyback off of the materials then. Let's talk about healthcare, which also was front and center during the COVID-19 COVID pandemic. Uh, as COVID's kind of loosened its grip on our, our world at large, how are healthcare stocks doing? Yeah, there is a mix here for sure, Ryan. When we look at the healthcare overall select group, right? They were down 2.3% through the end of June. But healthcare services up almost four, healthcare equipment up almost 13. So it depends, right? If we're looking at equipment and supplies, right? You're starting to see some things begin to pick up and improve overall. In our channel checks and what we're hearing, what we're reading, we're seeing a lot of companies that are starting to see healthcare return to a more normalized atmosphere. So again, as their supplies improve and services begin to deliver more regularly, we think healthcare will look more appealing. All right, good to know. And then on the industrials front, Joe, industrials was one of those sectors that was up relatively solidly uh, towards the end of June. What is this telling us about the economy? Where do you see this going? Yeah, I think industrials tells a very interesting tale. So again, another cross current, right? They were up, industrials up over 9% through the end of June. So let's break down in, into this, right? In particular, I want to I want to go back to passenger airlines, freight logistics, cargo, and passenger transportation, up twenty three percent. And so I want to talk about that and consumer discretionary. So we're going to end on a very positive note. Why? Because as we're seeing airlines, hotels, and cruise lines, people are booking trips either for work and mixing in more fun. So if they had to be somewhere on Friday, they may travel on Thursday night and stay longer. Or if they have to be somewhere on Monday, they may travel on Friday and stay longer, right? So COVID goes back to giving us the ability to work remotely. And so they'll work remotely on that one day or two days and then stay longer. So airlines, part of the industrials, are saying it's harder to tell where people are traveling for just fun and working for work and mixing in fun, right? The top line hotels haven't seen a return to travel work as much as the midline hotels and lower end hotels. So people are traveling for work, not at the highest level, but the intermediate levels and doing it more frequently and staying longer. 
And let me go back to cruise lines, right, Ryan? Because we have heard now they're not quite at pre-pandemic levels, but they can't seem to book fast enough. And so people are booking cruises, but they can't get enough folks to staff the phones. And they're already expecting record numbers for 2024. So the industrials look good. They're expected to stay strong and their numbers have been healthy so far this year. So you see how industrials are playing into discretionary and how they're interacting with one another. This is all powering the economy higher. That doesn't mean we won't have a correction, right? There are often those seasonal corrections that come in the fall. We'll do this again after the third quarter. But I'm telling you that overall, the underlying pinnings of the economy do look strong, especially in certain areas. Well, that is an uplifting message to kind of leave our audience with today, Joe. I, I like that a lot. And and Joe, obviously, here you are at that kind of halfway point of the year. I'm sure you're having conversations with clients regularly around these numbers and you know what the portfolio will look like as we finish out the year for anybody in our audience joe that's interested in, in open up a, a dialogue with you to talk about their investment portfolio how it can be positioned within the economy based on maybe some of the information they heard today what's the best way they could reach out and get in touch with you and your team to start that conversation and and you know examine what their portfolio looks like through the rest of the year yeah, Ryan, give us a call, shoot us an email. We're happy to have a conversation. As we've mentioned before, we're happy to give someone a second opinion or just do a stress test somewhere along the way. Fantastic. Well, Joe, this has been a great recap. It's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, back end here of 2023. A lot of good stuff to be on the lookout for and a lot of other interesting material, uh, given all the different sectors that we hit today. But uh, good episode today, Joe. Looking forward to being back on the next one with you. Thanks, Ryan. Good to see you. Alrighty, fantastic, Joe. And hey, look, folks, we want to take one final moment, as we always do, and thank you for stopping by and spending some time with us today. If you did enjoy today's discussion, you took a thing or two away from this market analysis through the first half of 2023, you benefited from it, well, make sure you go ahead and subscribe then to the show on whichever platform you checked us out on. That way, you never miss out on another episode where Joe and I dive into another wealth management-related discussion. Before Joe, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long now but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us on your money and a cup of joe this presentation is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions the views and opinions expressed may not be those of ubs financial services incorporated ubs financial services incorporated does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information presented this material is made available for use by ceg Neither UBS Financial Services Incorporated nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Incorporated offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC registered broker dealer. 
Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services Incorporated is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA, member SIPC. Joe Kaleo at Kaleo Wealth Management Group, UBS Financial Services Incorporated. Office address 200 West Highway 6, Suite 400 in Waco, Texas, 76712.